It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, guys. It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan. And I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me. And you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered ChumbaCasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Salutations, Mets fans, and welcome to this week's edition of Amazing Avenue Audio, the official podcast of your SB Nation New York Mets site, Amazing Avenue. I'm your host, Jeffrey Paternostro, and with me this week is Steve Sippa. Steve, at WWE Battleground on Sunday, The Undertaker appeared after a three-month absence to tombstone Brock Lesnar and eventually challenge him at SummerSlam. So in that spirit, because since you're on, we always have always, no, not always, but gave me the opportunity to shoehorn in a wrestling question. What old Mets player would you like to show up in the middle of a game and tombstone or do some other wrestling move to his sort of like modern contemporary and then take his spot in the lineup? Uh, I'd like to see Jose Reyes make a reappearance at City Field and get rid of Ruben Tejada. Uh, Reyes doesn't seem like a tombstone guy. I think he's more of like a, a slingshot plancher kind of guy. Take out Tejada. I could see that. Mm-hmm. It's a good plan. Definitely improve the lineup. I went in a different direction. Um, 
I maybe went a little too deep on this. We'll see how it goes. So, over the coming weeks of Mets games, they're going up to the trade deadline. Uh, Mike Piazza shows up in the booth. Just hanging out with uh, Keith and Ron and Gary. And he pops into the radio booth for Howie and uh, Josh. You know, just expressing some concern with the direction of the team. How's it going? How the offense is doing? Stuff like that. Otherwise, just sort of hanging out. Then uh, he says, finally, after they lose one nothing to, let's say, San Diego next week, he finally gets fed up in the booth. So that's it. We need to make some changes around here. I'm bringing in some reinforcements. So after the trade deadline, Sandy's doing his, like, post-trade deadline segment, talking about why they didn't make any trades. And suddenly Mike Piazza shows up with Edgardo Alfonso. And they're, like, talking trash about Sandy. <laughs> Meanwhile, you know, this is, this is where the big boys play? I don't think so. So then finally, they get the big, they get a big series with the Nationals at the end of the year. Vision's still close. Game's about to start. Everyone runs out onto the field. While they're doing the announcements, like, Piazza appears on the board, just, like, running down the entire team. Then he and Alfonso come out from the, from the stand, through the stands, and attack Kevin Ploiecki and Wilmer Flores. At which point, big brawl starts, and Matt Harvey runs out of the uh, out of the dugout, and then very portentously, Josh Lewin says, but which side is he on? <laughs> then he proceeds to uh, turn on the entire Mets offense along with Piazza and Alfonso. And uh, then the porno, cue the porno music. Bravo. Mm. I'm trying to think who eventually plays Crow Sting in this uh, scenario. <laughs> I think it's got to be like Lucas Duda because he's like the strong, silent type on the team. Yeah, that's true. I wouldn't want to see him uh, lower from the rafters, though. He's a big guy. He might be a little bit dangerous. Mm. I think you could bring back like Kevin Burkhart too as like the Bischoff character. It's like their like heel <laughs> announcer. He would be good at that role. I guess. Yeah, I don't <clears> think <throat> anyone better than Burkhart for it. I mean, maybe someone a little more. I don't know, he follows me on Twitter, so I don't want to really. I'm not making fun of him per se, but you need someone a little more like sort of like pip squeakish, like Bischoff is. Maybe like Evan Roberts would be good for that too. Right, you need you need a guy that whose whose bark is worse than his bite. Yeah. This is episode 129 of Amazing Avenue Audio. I said it was 127 last week. It wasn't. It was 128. I can't. We've done 129. We've done more than 129 episodes. We've done a fuck ton of episodes. I can no longer really be counted on to keep track of how many episodes we've done at this point in time. Though it's very easy to look up. Well, this, let, let, let them look it up. Then. Yeah, it's fine. It's episode 129. Um, that will not be it for the wrestling portion of the show either. I'm not doing a WWE Battleground recap because i just i don't have anything to say about it did you watch it i did um the first half was extremely boring and terrible and the last three matches were on different levels good and surprising yeah i just don't have much to say about it yeah that's a really it just, all felt, it just really felt like a setup for SummerSlam. really it's like it was like the go home show for SummerSlam or something pretty much we do have a wrestling email later in the show that was specifically addressed to Steve Sippa. 
I'm famous now. We have a ways to go before we get there. Um, one of the things we don't do on the podcast so much is just like talk about the game that just happened. We might talk about the game that's happening if there's a game on while we're recording. That is a thing we do. Um, we're recording this on Wednesday night. And the Mets lost a game to the Nationals in like 2008 fashion. I guess would be the best adjective there. I do want to talk a little bit about the game as sort of a way of summing up their road trip coming out of the break. I went two and four. They're three back of the Nats. Now going into the 10-game homestand against the Dodgers and Nationals and the Padres. Um, we uh, are probably all aware of what happened in that game. But you want to sort of hit maybe the the high points, low points of that game and talk a little bit about the road trip. After that, we'll assess where we are with Michael Kadire and Michael Conforto, Kadire's injury, and if Conforto should be a call-up consideration at this point. If not, look at the trade market. We are nine days from the non-waiver trade deadline. And again, the Mets offense is still terrible. This has been a recurring theme on the podcast for the last, oh, 15 weeks or so. There's a new batch of rumors this week. A little bit of Ben Zobris, a little bit of the prospects they might be willing to trade. And speaking of prospects, we just wrapped our midseason list, well, the top 10. The uh, Our individual list will go up tomorrow now that I have some free time to actually put that all together in a neat little table for all of our readers. We'll talk about the midseason prospect list, which uh, Steve and I are both in agreement. We will never do again. Never. It's terrible. Uh, we will talk a little bit about that, and then we'll answer your emails. That will be the show. But let's start with the game today, Steve. Um, it didn't go so well. Well, I watched the first um, maybe six innings. Since so you, you saw the best of it, you should have just yeah. You should yeah. just yeah. You turned it off there. You were good. You were good. It just could have just ended there. I I turned on the PlayStation. I was playing some video games. I shut it off, and the regular TV goes back on. And like, oh, the Mets lost. And I said, huh, yeah. yeah. It's like it's, look, any team, good, bad, or indifferent, is going to have their bullpen blow a two-run lead late in games. A half dozen times a year, give or take. Now, it was a particularly bad situation for the Mets because they're playing their division rival. They had a chance to get within one game, you know, take two out of three from them on the road, which would have been a nice little feather to put in their cap coming out of this 10 game homestand. It didn't happen for a variety of reasons. Um, it, it's a brutal loss by any description. Um, this is not the biggest series of the year. I'm sorry. It's July 22nd. It no, just I isn't. Mean, if it is, the, if that was the biggest game of the year, then fuck it. You might as well just pack in the site podcast team season. <laughs> it's gut check time. Yeah, there will be other bigger games before they complete. Before they either make the playoffs or fall completely out of playoff contention. I know the New York media needs a story, and it was a bad loss, but these things happen. You know, they went two and four against two very good teams on the road. Not ideal. They could have very easily gone three and three. Um, you know, Terry Collins sort of like did everything he could to sort of take the take one for the team in the post game presser for leaving Parnell in. And there's a few different things at work here. You know, he only got six innings and I know a Syndergaard who did not have his best stuff, but he battled. Um, I think I've been talking to various people over the over the past few weeks, and. This this was coming from Bobby Parnell, one way or the other. Um, first of all, because he's not a true talent, you know, .67 ERA pitcher, <laughs> even when he was healthy. Um, 
but also because he's not still fully right. Like, I know he pitched pretty good for the first 12 innings of his season, his major league season, and the velocity started to come back a little bit. But a lot of that was him throwing, like, trying to get ahead with a 92-mile-an-hour fastball and then just throwing curves as much as he could. It was very junk baller-y. Um, and even when he's 94, 96, it's still a straight fastball these guys can square. So this was coming one way or the other. It happened to come at the probably most inopportune time for the first two or three weeks he's been back. But the sort of reliance on him as the eighth-inning guy in general right now I think is a bad idea. And look, there's not a lot of better options. There's basically Henry Mejia, who might be a better option. But I'm probably the only one right now. Um, I think... Collins, you know, I would have, so the only thing that really bugs me about this whole thing is, and it's not even Familia pitching yesterday in a five-run game. I don't really care about that. Um, it's Collins after the game saying, well, we have all these great pitchers coming up, so I didn't know when I'd get to use him. You know, the Mets pitching staff is pretty good, too. They're likely to play close, low-scoring games against these, you know, the Nationals today and the Dodgers and the Nationals again. That is likely to happen. I know they're facing good pitchers. So you can't then use him and say, I won't use him for an inning plus or even two innings. You know, a six-out save today in that case. You just can't do that. You know, you're better off using him when you're down 2-1 against Kershaw on Thursday than you are using him up 7-2. But nobody really uses their closer like that. So I can't blame Collins for that. But just making that statement to the press and the press just sort of dutifully writing it down and recording it and not really following up on it. (laughs) (sighs) It is what it is. Frankly, the fact that Parnell is even on the team right now, that he's able to throw 92, 93, 94, whatever it is that he's kind of been averaging, is impressive, all things considered. Well, and we've talked about this before on the, on the yeah. podcast when he was getting absolutely obliterated on rehabs, rehab assignments. You know, it's a principal agent issue. If they had just gone and given him a two-year deal for slightly more guaranteed money than what they gave him for the arb, arb tender, they could have shut him down during his rehab when he wasn't particularly successful, and then ramped him back up. But they have there's the idea that you have to get value out of him this year somehow um, because he's going to be a free agent at the end of the season and he's coming off Tommy John surgery. So they may like, literally grind his arm into dust to try to recoup some of that value, some of that money that they paid. And you can blame Alderson for that, but look, he's one of Terry Collins' favorites and Terry Collins has more say in that kind of like player stuff than you think. I shouldn't say than you think. Than is commonly reported. You know, there's a reason he's being used. He immediately was made the eighth inning guy after like two innings, <laughs> despite, you know, a 14 ERA on rehab. And yeah, rehab is rehab. It's not a huge deal. But, you know, there, there were scouts that saw him on rehab and basically wrote him up that like, he looks like an org guy. And really coming into the majors the first 10 innings or so, he looked like an or guy. You know, 91 and 94 with a breaking ball. That describes a million double-A relievers of various quality. Now, the velocity is coming back a little bit, which is good. But he's just not a guy I would trust in the eighth inning right now. 
I mean, I was looking up his strikeout rate. <clears throat> his strikeout rate right now is five is five point eight. I mean, even for a low leverage mop up reliever, that's unacceptable. You no, can't I... have a guy like that who's not who just doesn't really have it in such a, an important role. Even yeah. if he's beginning, even if he's been getting the results up until this point. And I don't want to. I, I don't want to go into that too much. There's only twelve innings, but right. it's backed up by the stuff he's showing. Exactly, you know, he, his fastball is noticeably down, and he's always lived on his fastball. So, I mean, he's yeah, he's played around with different breaking stuff. The knuckle curve's not a bad pitch; it's some quality major league offering. No, but, but you need a high, fastball to yeah. to set it up. Yeah, I mean, that's the between him and someone like Familiar, even Mejia, who you know has multiple quality major league secondary offerings in addition to a fastball in the same general range as Parnell's with more movement on it. Mm-hmm. And I understand he can't pitch in any theoretical playoff game. But you got to get there. So he's the guy I would lean on for for the eighth inning. And I, I'd even... You know, I'm more comfortable with... I don't want to say I'm more comfortable with Hansel Robles at this point. But there are... There need to be other options in this pen down the stretch. I just don't see it happening because Collins is so invested in Parnell. And look, 2000... 13 Bobby Parnell would be a great eighth inning guy as your primary setup man. That guy hasn't shown up yet. Nope. And you can't count on it going forward. And this is a team that is going to have to win close one-run games down the stretch if they want to make the playoffs. They're not going to be beating guys 7-2 every night. They're going to have to win 3-1 games. They're going to have to win 2-1 games. They're going to have to win 4-3 games which means they need quality, high-leverage innings from multiple relievers to get there. I just don't think Bobby Parnell's there yet. I can't disagree. And I don't trust Terry Collins not to use him until he's pitching to like a 4 ERA or something <laughs> on August 15th. Well, hopefully by that point, we're going to be 10 games up in the standings, so it mm-hmm. won't really matter. In order for that to happen, they're going to need some more offense, Steve. That is true. Michael Kadire is still hurt. Terry Collins thinks he might be able to play Thursday. Kadire doesn't think he's going to be able to play Thursday. This has been going on for weeks. Should the Mets call up Michael Conforto? And I know we'll, we'll preface this by saying for the listener, in the interest of full disclosure, Steve has tickets to see the B-Mets on Saturday and Sunday in Trenton. So he cannot be called up before Saturday. <laughs> After that, whatever. It sounds like it may take a few days for them to really finally <laughs> figure out that Michael Kadire should probably go on the disabled list. That is a thing that might need to happen. Should have happened. I was I was almost I mean, I was really upset that Ploiecki struck out on, on ball four today for a couple reasons. The first reason is because it ended the game, and it was a terrible loss. The second reason was I want to see if, the, if they would actually use Kadire to pinch hit there. If he couldn't pinch hit there, it's like, you, what are you doing? Not that the Mets, you know, bench is... Not that Kadire's been great, but he's still probably the best option on the Mets bench when he's on the bench. 
I mean, his 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 swing is not what's in question. You know, he can't. Well, I shouldn't even say <laughs> yeah, that. This year, <laughs> this this year, not with not included. His his swing has never well, been. The other issue. options at the time would have been Danny Mano and Johnny Manel. So if he couldn't go in that spot, that's an issue. You know, he in fact he had to ask out of the eighteen inning game because he could not run. On Sunday, is an issue. Like you can't just carry a short bench like that. So the Conforto issue is interesting. I got to see him again a little bit this week, and Monday he basically just absolutely scorched every ball he hit. And it, you know, it's an updating the priors thing for me. It doesn't really change my report. He didn't look great on Tuesday against a guy throwing eighty-two to eighty-five, which I don't really actually hold against hitters for the most part because you just don't see it. It's like below the hitting speed. I've seen Dan Heron absolutely tear up. You know that was the game that we went to. Yeah, Dan Heron absolutely tore up the major league lineup with you know an eighty-three mile per hour fastball. Because it's weird. You don't. It's just too slow. It's tough to adjust to over like two or three at bats. Uh, You know, later in the game he worked a walk and you know hit one deep in sort of deep foul into the right field corner that just sort of stayed in the field of play for the right fielder to make a play on it. But again, that doesn't really change my report. I, In a perfect world, he'd get the rest of the year in AA. He'd get a 100 plate appearances in AAA at the beginning of next year, and then you'd call him up and he'd rake. But I think he's ready right now to be a 90 to 100 weighted runs created plus type player. You know, average, a slightly below hitter in left field. You know, 250, 300, 400 hitter in left field with average defense. Which is not the ideal point in time to call up your top prospect. But it's a point in time where he's an upgrade over all the other options. Mm-hmm. So I think it has to be in play. And look, if you don't want to call him up on Thursday because Kershaw's pitching and he wouldn't start anyway, I'd still call him, put him on the bench then. Let Mayberry start. At least you have probably a better pinch hitting option. Um, you know, I'm going to the Major League game on Friday, so if they want to call him up before that, I'm Start him in left field against Granky. I'm fine with that too. But get out uh, of here. I mean, realistically speaking, you can't call up Travis Tyrone. No, I mean it's you're going to be getting the same that you're getting from him as you're going to get from the very blah options on the bench and in left field that we've been getting. You're not getting any kind of noticeable upgrade, really. And look, there's a chance he goes off for six weeks. And the worst case scenario here is he hits 220, struggles against lefties. Three weeks later, you have to send him down, probably to Vegas, and have him spend the rest of the year there. And at least, look, at least you gave it a shot. They're going to need to make a trade for another bat, regardless, in a perfect world. Um, but he's. And look, they know. Look, they had. They had people there watching him. I will put it that way. The Mets um, organization was well represented in New Britain this week. So it's it's got to be on the table. Now, could they be looking at, you know, guys like Nimmo and Cicchini, who have been ru- and Fulmer, who pitched today, who have been rumored to theoretically uh, be available in trades? I'm sure that's part of it, too. But they are doing their due diligence. They have, a, they have recent reports on Michael Conforto, as I think I said on Twitter today. <laughs> 
but they need to find offense somewhere. And if it's not from Michael Conforto, it's going to have to be on the trade market. And I don't know. They've been linked to, or previously linked to Ben Zobris. There's been rumors of a, a Zobris from Montero deal on the table uh, before Montero's shoulder issues. Gerardo Parra has come up again. You know, they're kicking the tires, as Ted Berg would say, on, on Carlos Gomez and Justin Upton. We're nine days away from the trade deadline, Steve. Talked about this, I think, 12 days ago. When we were 21 days away from the trade deadline. Where are you looking to upgrade right now? I mean, the most important place to upgrade is, you know, that airfield spot. Because you're, I mean, we're assuming Michael Kadair is pretty well and good, probably done for the season. As a productive regular. <laughs> that happened on the first day of the season. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> look, they got to fill in. Look, Granderson's hitting. Juan Lagares is Juan Lagares. You're just going to sort of ride out the storm with that one. But they need to get more offense from a corner outfield spot. And I remember when, uh, I think when they signed John Mayberry, I'm like, well, you know, Kadir gets hurt. John Mayberry and Kirk Heath can probably give you 75% of that production as a platoon. And I was right. Nope. I think, I think I'm accurate in, in saying that. It just didn't, not exactly in the way I anticipated when I said it. <laughs> so I well. just don't see that as an option. Mark Craig listed a whole bunch of names that are theoretically available. Um, the only two, I guess you can infer the only two untouchables are Conforto and Ahmed Rosario, which makes sense. You know, Conforto is very close to Major League Ready, and they love Ahmed Rosario. And I had them one two on my midseason list, which we'll talk about in a minute. But past that, you had sort of the usual suspects: Brandon Nimmo, Gavin Chikini, Michael Fulmer. I remember what it's on this list now. Robert Gazelman. Um, Josh Smoker, which was fun. Yeah, that, that made me laugh a bit. He's actually really good. Hey, if we can get value out of Josh Smoker. Yeah, awesome. yeah, it's, that's a good job by some bird dog or local scout. Take that one up. They called him in for a tryout, as I recall. So I guess uh, bully for whoever uh, saw him in indie ball or whatever. Um, who else was there? I forget. It was like nine names on the list, but there's a lot of guys you saw. I think Matt Reynolds. A lot of guys you saw on our the back end of our top ten list that went up in Amazing Avenue over the past week or so. Now you're not bringing back. I don't think Nimmo, Chikini are bringing back a, a Justin Upton or a Carlos Gomez type. But let's say. The Brewers come to you and offer you Gerardo Parra for Nimmo and Smoker. Are you making that deal? Off the top of my head, no, because I do not know Parra's contractual status. He's a rental. He's he's a free agent at the end of the year. Right, yeah. And I do know that he's playing over his head. You know, that's that's been discussed ad nauseum. And his defense isn't what it used to be. So... I don't know. Could he? Is he going to outproduce? You know, uh, a Conforto. If you bring up a Conforto, I don't know. Spoiler alert! He, uh, could we should mention that Steve also had Brandon Nemo at number one on his midseason list. I did. 
If I, I wouldn't, I would not hesitate to include Nemo in a package that brought someone else in. You know, someone that I like more than Paro. But fair enough. Um, but I do think it's you're sort of in that situation where, and we're. I saw it on Matt's Twitter today because Keith Law put the system fourth overall, which is I'm sorry, it's <laughs> fucking bullshit. Yeah, I think we we're in the bottom. It's the, it's the bottom half system right now. If you sort of follow the rules, and you know, Herrera is off the list, Matt's is off the list. Ploiecki's off the list. Syndergaard, too, of course. You know, sort of, you follow the rules. Anyone's in the majors, anyone doesn't have rookie eligibility. You know, if you look at the 10 guys we listed on our top 10 list, that is not a the fourth best system no. in baseball. I'm sorry, it's just not. So I think there's going to be some sort of unrealistic expectations of what these guys are actually going to bring back. And look, they look, I like a lot of these players. You know, past Conforto and Rosario. I really do. I like Wilmer Becerra. I like Robert Gazelman. I like Michael Fulmer. I've always liked those guys. Akil Morris. Yeah, fine. Whatever. Akil Morris. Um, <laughs> <laughs> who's not even closing, but I didn't see him. It was uh, a lot of uh, John Velasquez and Paul Seawald mm-hmm. out of the pen. Dario Alvarez over the last two days. I think I forgot anybody else. Who came in? It was Alvarez and Seawald last night. On Monday night, it was Velasquez. Who followed, who followed Lugo? Oh, uh, Matt Cook, who looked good again. The slider's actually gotten better. I will say. 93-95 with actually like a fringy Major League slider now. It's I was better impressed. than what I saw from him years ago when yeah. he was starting at the Cyclones. So. It's better than I saw from him a month ago. He pitched in the seventh inning. You want to get excited? You get excited over seventh inning guys, but it's just the problem is the expectation now is like you know Nimmo and Chikini are going to bring back you know an impact major league bat. I just don't know if that's true. And again, it only takes one team, you know, the right team. And it, I, I talked about this a little bit with uh, Chris McShane because he was there last night. It only takes like one team to really buy into like a Brandon Nimmo or a Gavin Cicchini. And I imagine they would be slightly divisive prospects. Where if you buy into the profile, if you buy Cicchini as a shortstop, if you buy Nimmo as sort of a top-of-the-order center fielder, if your local guy or your cross-checker is a little higher on those guys than I am, then yeah, you're talking about a guy that can bring back a quality major league bat. That's and that's the thing. I did a radio hit on Sunday night. That's what the Mets need. They need like three average bats. <laughs> I think the names I popped up were like Ben Revere and Will Venable. No, they're not sexy names. But they you aren't. Don't, you don't need sexy names to get it done. Uh, the this margin team does the, not need. This yeah. team needs to like be ten percent worse than league average on offense, and the pitching should be able to carry the rest. And the fact that they can't even manage that is... <laughs> very Metzian. It is very Metzian. But an anathema to me personally. Um, and someone like Revere, I think, is interesting. Cameron Mabin. Another good name. Um, trying to think of like an infield target. I want to say Juan Uribe again. But uh, apparently they could have had him for Dylan G, so... Fuck, do I know? 
Oh, Dylan G. I mean, Jim uh, Jim Bowden thinks they should just, just uh, trade John Neese for Jay Bruce, which I would also do. I would drive him to the airport. I would fly with him, and I hate <laughs> flying. My favorite one was it's like. It was like I think it was in the same tweet. He's like, they should, either the Angels should offer Sean Newcomb or the Mets should offer John Neese. Those are two very different things. <laughs> very, very different things. I guess Newcomb's been touching a hundred in nice. high A. He touched ninety eight for me last year at University of Hartford. I'm not. I'm a little surprised. I thought he would settle in more as like a ninety two to ninety four guy in the sort of like. A once every five days guy as opposed to a once a week guy, but I mean the velocity was always there and it's a big frame capable of generating it from the left side, so there was rumor he was gonna make a spot start for the Angels, like straight from high A. But yeah, very different than John Neese. Yes. But again, you know, you can only take Ralph so seriously. <laughs> Stuff what like a that. guy. What a guy. But yeah, someone like Jay Bruce, who's actually having a very good season. You know, he's under team control. Mabin, I think you have another year on a team option. Revere, you had a couple of years. Um, Venable, I'd have to look it up. But I feel like he's at least under contract for 2016. Because yeah, you get into that sort of like Gerardo Parra, Ben Zobra situation where it's a rental. And for the Reynolds, it's like if they were one play, one upgrade away, one clear hole away on offense, then like, okay, yeah, you need a center fielder, bring in Gerardo Parra. You need a, an infield spot, really wherever, second, third. You just need to fill a black hole. You bring in Ben Zobras. You, you, know, you do what you have to do. But it just, and look, those guys are upgrades over what they have right now, but it just doesn't move the needle enough given the cost in players. Of course, we also get into the can the Mets take on any fucking salary. Like any right, salary. Because right. there's the... I forget who tweeted it out. I want to say it was... Uh, shoot. I don't remember now. Uh, John Morosi. Like, the, in the Mets sources, the Mets are asking... <laughs> it was like the Mets want a middle-of-the-order bat. They don't want to spend money or prospects to get it. Well, no one does. Yeah. That is not the way the world works, Steve. <laughs> you have to give to get. Unfortunately. So we'll see if there's any radical changes in the team between now and, uh, well, the game time tomorrow. Or certainly by maybe early next week for the National Series. Or by the trade deadline, which is only nine days away. I don't know. I don't have any insight here. I know what I would do. I don't know what the Mets will do. I know what I won't do again, Steve. Let's make another fucking midseason prospect list. Nor will I. So I'm going to throw Eric Simon under the bus here, which I have no problem doing because I don't think he listens to the podcast. Um, while I was on my trip to see the Mets Low Miners affiliates, I figured, oh, it's the middle of the year. So I said, hey, if anybody wants to do sort of a top... 25 prospect recap to sort of see where these guys are, what they've done, if their stock's up. Very sort of generic um, article stuff. Nothing fancy. Stuff you'd see wherever. 
So Eric messages me and like, why, why don't we just do a new list? I'm like, I don't do midseason prospect lists. This is my ethos. It's a personal belief I hold strongly. I just, you know, how do you integrate the short season guys? How do you integrate exactly. the guys that were just drafted? Exactly. You know, I was in a spot where I was seeing all the short season guys at the time while I was doing my list. So that gave me a little bit of an advantage. And also I could browbeat our writers into putting Louis Carpio higher than they would have put him otherwise. I liked Carpio coming into the season. Okay. Just, Fair just enough. Saying. If you know, if you look at the preseason recaps that uh, previews that we wrote, I did include Carpio as a guy to watch. Fair enough. The bully, bully for you. <laughs> but it's it's just one of those things where it's like, how do you like Desmond Lindsay probably won't play this year because he's rehabbing his hamstring. And he was announced as a center fielder, a position he's never played. How do I rank this guy? But they, yeah, essentially, <laughs> I think that's actually where I put him. Um, you get into a spot where it's like, well, it was a weird season because, you know, Syndergaard and Matt's, Matt's had literally just gotten called up, but Syndergaard had been called up, Pulecki and Herrera had been called up, and Herrera was on the Major League DL at the time, I think, so, or he had just gotten off the Major League DL, so he wasn't, like, prospect eligible for mid-season list roles, which are different than pre-season list roles, I'm sorry, this is, like, wonky prospect writer stuff. Basically, for all intents and purposes, the Mets graduated their top five prospects in the first half of this season. So, you know, I guess doing a sort of where are we right now thing isn't the worst idea in the world. No, like a, a where are we now? I don't know, like a review of the system as a whole works, but... I will, like say, I will say that every single person submitted it. So we did the same way we do the sort of the preseason list. Everyone submitted a top 20. I aggregated that into a top 10 using like a basic, you know, AP poll style reverse point system. And everyone hated the top 10 list. And everyone already hates their top 20 list that they submitted, <laughs> including both of your hosts for this episode. Well, I don't hate mine necessarily. I hate but mine so much. It, it could, mine could use a little improvement. It could use some revisions. And my off-season list will be completely different, but especially 10 to 20. I mean, that's the biggest problem with a mid-season, you know, list is stuff is happening in the season that you yeah. have to take account for. Like a guy like Johan Narena, I, I like him. He would be like a, a, I wouldn't want to say he would be a top 10 guy for me, but he'd be like a 10 to 15 guy right now for me. He was injured and the prognosis was that he was going to be out for possibly the entire year. So he was not on my list. And it's like now what he's... you do with Marcos Molina who hasn't right. had Tommy John surgery yet, but... Exactly. Still may have Tommy John surgery. I don't know. Um, and then I have to deal with like Yahoo's in the comment section yelling about the difference between Gazelman and Fulmer, like the difference between five and eight in this system, which is not a top four system in baseball, is huge or something. Listen, you probably should be more worried about them yelling at you about where you place Dominic Smith. Yeah, when those uh, individual <laughs> lists go up tomorrow, that's going to be fun for me, but I'm ready. Don't yeah. at me. At least Adderlin isn't on your list. That's true. Uh, so you'll see those top uh, 20 lists from myself, Steve, Greg, uh, Josh Barnes, and Lucas Lajos. Now they have time to write a little intro to it. I think we had 37 d different players on our top 20 lists. That's that kind of tells you where the system is. And we have now. Yep. Yeah. Which is fine. It's not the end of the world. There's a lot of dudes I'm running up as, uh, you know, Major League regulars. That's good. 
I saw a lot of fun dudes in the low minors. But I don't I don't get don't get too excited about the midseason list. It is what it is. Get excited about my preseason list. Then you can yell at me when I have like Louis Carpio in the top five. Which may happen. I'm not gonna lie to you. Which one do which uh, which ranking do you wish you could have back? Um I guess Desmond Lindsay. <clears throat> yeah, I don't know what to do because, with him. <laughs> right, it was he was I put him at number eleven. I think which, I had him ten. But it's yeah. just based on nothing. Right, that's the thing. It's just based on his potential and that's it. I would put him a little bit further down, you know, all things considered now. Let me pull up my list just for reference. Um I say I might have Gabby Yanoa higher after seeing him. Right, yeah, same thing. Last night, but I didn't have I think I probably had him higher than I should have before having seen him last night. But it was good. Like the I think the curve makes a difference for him in a weird way. Um just to sort of give a different look with the breaking ball. It's like the Dylan G theory. If you have two different below average major league breaking balls, it just gives a different look. Well, when the margin of error is that slim, anything hurt, anything helps. Like I don't think it changes the reports. I think you know, you know, number four starter upside, probably a middle reliever. It still annoys me that like he got in trouble in the seventh, sixth, or seventh inning. It was like second and third and two outs, and he just threw like seven straight off-speed pitches. And that just, and he did the same thing in April when he got in trouble in New Hampshire too. It's just like, three, like if you don't have any confidence in your fastball there and it's it's not a bad fastball it just makes me really you want to start first pitch slider if the guy's maybe a little over aggressive absolutely and he did that and he got ahead and then fell behind like 3-1 throwing breaking balls it's like dude you gotta trust your fastball at some point it's the same as always like 91 to 94 a little movement arm side but you gotta I don't know it just it makes me a little nervous but again, if he's a guy with an average major league fastball, a solid average change, and two fringy breaking balls, you know, it's a guy that pitches. It's a guy that can start. He's a 7-8 control guy. And it's a back-end starter. Yeah. I'm a little more confident than I was after seeing him in April. He's been good his the last month. Yeah, he's... I think the curve has made a difference. Um, I would probably... There's a bunch of dudes I don't know what to do with. Like outside of the top, like thirteen or fourteen guys, um, Dominic Smith is one of them. Um, Jeff McNeil is one of them. Um, you know, I talked before on the show. I mean, he's the guy that kind of outperforms my projection for him. I don't know. I guess. What one do I really want back here? Let's see. I don't have any. Yeah, yeah. It's not like it's a bad list. It's just it isn't. I the, might. Yeah. The names are fine. It's just like you want to reshuffle certain. Things. Yeah, it's like after Conforto, Rosario, and Nemo. It's that, that like four through nine for, is so fluid for me. 
four for nine is fluid, and ten through twenty are all interchangeable. Yeah, there's a bunch of guys that I like left off my list, and I'm like, eh, I don't know what to do here. Like the shocker for me was two other people, including you, Steve, had Luigi Orme on their list, and I didn't. I did, yes. There's a no, lot. I mean, he's hitting. He profiles as a good, you know, well, he profiles as a good defensive shortstop, which you know to begin with, and he's been hitting so far, so that's that's good. Yeah, I don't know if he could keep it up, but. Again, based on just this mid-season... Yeah, it's like just a snapshot in yeah, time. Yeah, exactly. I already hate it. Well, never again. No, it's not going to happen again. No more about it. You can just wait for our off-season list, which will be very similar. I won't have a better. lot of yelling on our internal uh, Slack. I'm just looking at those Dominic Smith rankings. It's going to be... It's going to be a... Uh, bloodletting in the comment section under uh, our individual list tomorrow, I think. Oh, yeah, definitely. I Should wish I didn't look... have work. I would uh, just stay home and constantly refresh all day. So you have that look to look forward to, listeners. Now we'll move on to your emails. Before we do emails, we do housekeeping. It's Amazing Avenue Audio, episode 129. Amazing Avenue Audio is the official podcast of your SB Nation New York Met site, Amazing Avenue. Find us on the internet, AmazonAvenue.com. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at at AmazonAvenue. Join our Facebook group at Facebook.com slash AmazonAvenue. You can find the podcast on iTunes. Just search for Amazon Avenue Audio and you can listen or subscribe right there. I encourage you to do both. I also encourage you to rate and review the podcast. You can find the podcast on the Stitcher app. Download directly from blogtalkradio.com slash AmazonAvenue. Or join our Facebook group. Wait, what? What am I doing? This is the problem with having the gigantic bottle of Brooklyn K for Creek while I'm doing the podcast. Or listen to the embedded player. One of, like it's I had like a six month stretch where I was nailing the housekeeping every week, just from memory. In the last like month or so it's just been not good. I've got the yips. Got the oh. housekeeping yips. Jeffrey or, Pelfrey. Or listen to the embedded player that goes up in the podcast post at Amazing Avenue Proper. I'm your host, Jeffrey Paternostro. You can find me on Twitter at Jeff Paternostro. My co-host this week is Steve Stippa. You can find him on Twitter at Steve Stippa. That was the housekeeping. These are your emails. Email the podcast at podcast at amazingavenueaudio.com. We'll pull up my computer into my squeaky recliner and read your emails. Our first email is from Matthew. Gentlemen. Love the pod. I've been listening since around Dickie, the episode, maybe earlier. I must know, is I at I hate bot specs actually a bot? <laughs> yes. Um, it's a very convincing one, certainly. And I, I realized that uh, at some point, like my Twitter app on my phone, like one of the updates, you if you if you don't log on to Twitter for. Or don't bring up the app for like overnight, basically, from eight hours. It'll tell you what you've missed. Yep, yep, yep. Like tweets you've missed, and the only thing I can figure out is that it just generates those based on like who you favorited, because it's just a stream of I hate bot specs tweets. Because <laughs> <laughs> I favorited like thirty of them probably, but it is actually a bot. Um, it's an incredible bot. Um, 
I actually, at this point in time, I think slightly prefer uh, the Andy Money 69 bot. To the uh, I Hate Bots packs, Andy Botany 69. In terms of Met Twitter bots. But just like the random uh, Roman Reigns praise on the I Hate Bots packs bot is always fun. <laughs> Also, at obviously Mets has to be run by robot Eric Simon, right? So I don't have any real Mets questions, Matt. Um, so the thing about at obviously Mets is, logically speaking, if it didn't update so regularly, I would assume it was James K or Sam Page. But because it updates way too regularly for either of those to have any interest in doing that, um, I just have to assume it's some random person on that Twitter. Well, I don't even know what you're talking about, so I'll so, just agree. <laughs> at obviously Mets is, as best I can tell, a parody <clears throat> of uh, Just Mets, Mets Blog, and various other high-profile blogs mm-hmm. in the Mets blogosphere that are not Amazing Avenue so far. I feel like we're rife for parody, probably. I would With not that be offended. List, yeah, yeah, I would not be offended. Um, but it's the kind of thing I could see James K doing. But they do, it's just updates too regularly to actually be James K. Our next email is from Carl. Dear podcast, can you please have a "What's Wrong with Lucas Duda" segment, a la Jacob Degrom earlier in the season? Hoping for the podcast bump. <laughs> please and thank you, Carl. So it's been bad. I'm not going to lie to you. It has not been good. No. I mean, we've all seen... I guess he's on... They said on one of the broadcasts, I think this past weekend, that he's on pace to break the team's single-season strikeout record. Yes. Well, I... I, I it was like, I didn't... It didn't, like, sort of click with me. Intuitively, that was the case. I'd be like, is his strikeout rate that high? And it's 25%, which is high... It's not like it's not Matt like, Reynolds. It's not Matt Reynolds. It's not Ryan Howard. You you see thirty percent K rates like all the time. Yeah. Now, so it really kind of confused me that he's gonna be on pace to set the uh, team's all-time single season strikeout record. Um, I know it's sabermetric orthodoxy that lineup protection does not matter, but you know why are you gonna pitch to Lucas Duda in this lineup? <laughs> And then, look, he's been bad at laying off sliders in the dirt. He's been bad at laying off change-ups. Is it possible he's pressing? Yes. Um, I mean, even so, he's been... not... great, generally. Um... <laughs> But if you look at sort of like his year over year, you know, what he's seeing, I guess. Um, he's seeing more breaking stuff, more off-speed stuff, less fastballs. It's so, always been his problem, the, yeah. the off-speed stuff. And they are not throwing him fastballs anymore. And really, why would you? Well, He sees only 54% fastballs. Wow, that is... 
impressive, actually. I mean, yes, a lot of times he's going to see... You know, he's going to see more left-on-left kind of stuff than your average player. So he's going to see more lefty sliders, more righty change-ups. Just the way it's going to work. But even like throughout the season, he's actually seeing more fastballs in July, but I don't know if he has a significant sample size there yet. But, you know, just in, in June, when he really struggled, he saw 23% off speed, which in this case would be change-ups. So a 10% jump in change-ups in June. They're just not giving him anything to hit. And look, he's got he's to gotta take his medicine, you know, take his walks, And be done with it. You know, he's swinging through a lot of breaking balls. That is not good. I'm just literally flipping through Brooks baseball graphs at this point. <laughs> um, but there's no like. Why would you throw Lucas Duda a strike in this lineup? Like, who's been batting behind him lately? Wilmer Flores, Michael Kadire. You know, is it possible he overperformed a little bit last year? Yeah, sure. But he was yeah, good mean, at the beginning of the season. And we know then Darno got hurt. Daniel, well, actually, if we want to get the order correct, Wright got hurt, Darno got hurt, Murphy got hurt. And then it was basically Lucas Duda and a cast of Royal Four dudes. Why are you going to let Lucas Duda beat you? And yes, a good Lucas Duda transforms that lineup, but I don't. I wish I had better news here. I'm doing the best to get my podcast bump, the reverse sinks, as we call it, um, by saying, you know, maybe this is closer to what. I mean, the power on contact hasn't been there, which I think is probably the main issue. When was the last time he had a home run? I don't even know. He had a couple in the series against the... He had two home runs in a weekend series, I think, right before the All-Star break. But... All right. In general, since, like, you know, May 15th or so... Yeah, he's tailed off. The power on contact hasn't been there. You know, his ISO is closer to the 2013 season than than last year. And look, he got a little lucky on home run fly ball percentage last year. You know, he's probably more a 20 home run guy than a 30 home run guy. I'll take either. Yeah. But, you know, it's not... You know, it's not the end of the world if he's more of a second division starter than a first division starter. Profile-wise. I mean, it is for this Mets team because, well, they don't have many first division... Uh, second division profile starters, they don't have many first division at all. Um, you know, if you just sort of want to you know, look at sort of his rest of the season zips numbers, they see him finishing with, you know, 22 home runs, a 240-something batting average, and 
for 30 slugging. Not really. Roughly worth two and a half wins or so. Not really that far off of, you know, a reasonable expectation going into the season. Maybe right. you want the slugging percentage a little bit higher with, you know, some more doubles, 22 home runs or whatever. It's, it's a fine number, you know. Yeah, but him getting hot would be a uh, boon to this team right now. Anyone, I'll take, I'll take anything. Yeah. I'll take anyone, any player hitting long dongs and just be done with it. I'm surprised we don't get the uh, Ike Davis updates every so often now. Is he even, I, he was hurt for a while? I don't even know. He's just sort of passed into the ether now because it's not yeah. a convenient, like, trolling opportunity for... Uh, he pitched. That's all I really know. That was great. I'm I'm a little upset he didn't. Uh... I mean, the interesting thing is he's been, he's still sort of like even, the good Lucas Duda stuff is being buoyed by I, what I imagine is an unsustainable performance against left-handed pitching. <laughs> this year, he's still hitting three oh six, three sixty six, five sixty five against lefties, despite a five to one strikeout to walk ratio. Well, his his numbers against righties are more normal, and he's hitting, uh, you know, the walk K percentage are more in line with his career numbers, and he's hitting a two fifteen, three thirty eight, three sixty eight. Well, that's it's just a weird season. I don't know what to tell you. Um, you know, all those people that were like really worried that they didn't extend him preseason are probably less worried now. Mm-hmm. I next email is from Sean. Yo, bros, it's Sean from Long Island. Three points this week. One sandwich report. Just a quick editorial correction to your previous Stephen Matt's motherfucker sandwich report. We always, you know, I'm not Ted Berg, but I'll take it. When Stephen Jake checked into the Seaport Deli the Monday after his victorious debut, Matt's did not order the mats. Say chicken cutlet, melted jack, and cheddar cheeses, crispy bacon, lettuce, tomato topped with pepper house dressing on toasted garlic hero. That sounds good. I want that right now. Yeah, that sounds very good. But instead ordered the Phelan, chicken cutlet, melted cheddar, and American Bacon topped with potato salad and Russian dressing on a toasted garlic hero. That sounds a little, less good. A little too much going on there, I feel like. I could do that the potato salad on a sandwich. Yeah. That just sounds weird. Similar but slightly different chicken cutlet-based sandwiches. By the way, if you're ever in the Stony Brook's Setauket Pork Jefferson metro area, I would highly recommend Seaport Salad Sandwich Stop. I don't know when that'll ever happen. I try to avoid Long Island. I'll probably be there for a bowling tournament at some point, so I will put it on my... Uh, my radar regarding Matt Harvey trade tra- talk let's say it was a perfect measure of player value M war magic war which there's no debate on any metrics used let's say Sandy and another GM work up a perfect trade between Harvey and a slugger with the exact same M war when traded our teams both had the same exact value as before the trade do you then think having a better offensive team but a worse pitching team by the same exact value actually improves the team I'm of the opinion that we would be in the, exactly the same boat reason we are a slightly above 500 team is precisely because our pitching has been so dominant by subtracting value from our strength and adding it to our weakness. Are we really doing anything at all? This is why I don't believe trading a stud like Harvey makes any sense right now, while he is cost-controlled and generating big value thoughts. So I would say assuming perfect knowledge, omnipotence, in the ways of baseball player evaluation, I would always trade the pitcher for the position player. Yeah, I mean, there's just more of an opportunity to have an impact on more games. And there's less risk in the program. Yeah. Because there's just not an injury risk. 
No, I shouldn't say there's not injury risk. There's always less injury risk in the position player than the pitcher. <laughs> and I would say you can't really look at it in a complete vacuum um, because the Mets offense is so bad and their pitching is so good. You know, essentially you're replacing, let's say for the purposes of this exercise that M. War says Chris Bryant and Matt Harvey are worth exactly the same amount. You make that trade, you're replacing a replacement level. You know, you're replacing Danny Mano with Chris Bryant. It's a solid upgrade. If even if you only want to look at it as from the perspective of who's you replacing in the starting lineup, you're replacing. Oh, let's say Wilmer Flores with Chris Bryant. If you want to play him at third. Or Michael Kadire with Chris Bryant if you want to play him in left or right. That's still a much bigger upgrade than the downgrade from, say, Matt Harvey to Steven Matz. Or even Logan Verrett, probably. Or Rafael Montero. Um, I still probably wouldn't... I mean, I would trade Matt Harvey for Chris Bryant. If I'm being honest with you, the listener. But it's... It, I mean, I still... You always assume you have sort of more value, and you got to look at contracts and everything else. So I try to keep it with two sort of still cost control guys. They're getting more years of control with Bryant than you are with Harvey. It's nice to have someone else's dog on the podcast for a change. <laughs> what is the quirkiest part about baseball that you've had to explain to a spouse, friend, coworker who's a casual fan? My wife is a huge soccer fan, man, you unfortunately. Played in college, has a generally high level of sports knowledge. He's a trooper and generally enjoys baseball. At least lets me indulge in the 180 or so game a year addiction I have. She can't understand for the life of her how baseball can be played in stadiums that are not uniform in their dimensions. Furthermore, she correctly points out that how all the silly obsession with historical statistics us baseball nets have is seriously flawed when measuring on uneven playing fields. I've used a nostalgia argument, the old fields being existed, built into existing cities argument, the unique ballpark experience argument, and still no progress. I even tried to explain things like park factors, which is easily rebuffed by the inherent sampling errors of our best rough estimates. If the same exact players in the same teams don't play the same amount of games at any stadium year to year, I almost find myself agreeing with her. So anyway, what's your quirky baseball thing that you have trouble explaining to the casual fan? I will say that for like baseball stuff, even with uniform dimensions, you have different jet streams, different weather environments. If you want to look at soccer... Yeah, there's no such thing as uniformity, ultimately. Right. There's a very down to it. big difference you're playing in Old Trafford than when you're playing in, say, uh, I don't know, uh, the Britannia when they're dead on top of you. Or even something like if you, <laughs> the poor bastards that have to go to like AFC Bournemouth this year. Um, the dimensions aren't different, but the, the surface and sort of the environment is very different. Uh, for me, I spent an entire drive up to Binghamton explaining to my wife the uh, minor league medallion system and why the Mets just couldn't like buy a team and move it somewhere closer from Vegas. <laughs> to the complicated nature of the uh, league and level medallion system, which I still think is kind of weird. But I'm trying to think. I guess the most difficult thing is the bulk rules. I still and look. There's no one understands. Them. Every left-handed pickoff move is a balk, as far as I'm yeah. concerned. I've seen a million of them. They're all balks. 
you know, if you go by the definition, the definition of a balk is an attempt to deceive the runner. <laughs> Every left-handed pickoff move is a balk. No rhyme or reason to any of it. I think there's anything else. Surprising, uh, surprisingly, wins above replacement is very simple to explain to people. I've done, you know, a couple of people. I've kind of gave them a quick primer on it, and it's it's kind of long and convoluted, you know, because you have to walk them through a lot of different things. But it's very intuitive to like, you know, baseball. So right, I mean, all the base, all the base statistics that it uses are simple enough to understand. Exactly. Basically, you can understand linear weights. However, you feel about defensive metrics, which is a different issue. Um, I don't find war particularly difficult to explain. You may not get buy-in, but as far as like explication goes, it's not a. Right. One person said, "You know what? That's right. I I'm going to look further into sabermetrics." The other person said, "Okay, that's nice, but you're still wrong." Fair enough. <laughs> Our final email is from Stuart and has been sitting in the queue since July first. Oh, jeez. Save Sorry, this for when Stuart. Sippa is on the show. Dear Jeff and Steve, if you could pick a wrestling theme for all the noble players on the Mets, what would they be? Thanks, Stuart. Did you want to go through today's lineup? Is that the easiest way to sort of... Uh... Uh, no, it's probably the hardest <laughs> way. I don't know. I mean, we, is we've touched on this in the past. The team doesn't really have like personality. That makes it very difficult to assign things like this to. I do think every time Terry Collins comes out for a pitching change, there should definitely be a Randy Orton's theme playing. Oh, I was I was actually too. Uh, I put down Terry Collins. I put the uh, the Brian Pil the Brian Pillman ticking time bomb theme because <laughs> it's just madness. Um, is there a good like uh, David Wright theme? I guess we'll start with there. That seems like a good place to start. Uh. He's like the pretty boy, you know, company man, so. I definitely see Matt Harvey coming out to Shawn Michaels' theme with Matt Harvey singing it. <laughs> I could see it. Yeah. Well, the Wilpons, they definitely have Million Dollar Man's money, money, money theme. Yeah. Ironically, of course. Going that, I was trying to think of one for Syndicate, and it's the only Scandinavian wrestler I could think of was Ludwig Borga, and I don't remember his theme at all. You could just give him kind of Flight of the Valkyries, it's Norse, all that mm. shit, you know? That works, yeah, you're right, Daniel Bryans. Plus, I think that is a surprisingly good, like, baseball woke-up theme. Like, surprised where people haven't used it. I mean, I know why more baseball players haven't used it. Josh Reddick has all kinds of uh, baseball themes, uh, uh, wrestling themes. I'm sure he has at some point. I know he's used Bret Hart as well. I always thought, like, if I was... Uh, I always go back and forth on what my, like, walk-up music would be. Um, I guess if I was going to... I mean, I, I, I go back and forth bits between two choices. Uh, Roadrunner by the Modern Lovers. I feel like running out from the bullpen with that would get me really hyped up. <laughs> um, and sort of on the classical band, I think Mars Bringer of War. That is a good one. From uh, Holst the Planets. It's like really kind of like, yeah. You can't get excited after that. I don't know what to tell you. 
Metallica has one of them. This Metallica did like not a cover of that, but they included the uh, beginning in one of their songs. And Metallica and Mars bring a void. You can't go wrong with that. I would say for a wrestling theme, if I had to pick a wrestling theme, I think uh, the the M two K theme by uh, the Michelle Gun Elephant. It's a dra- it's a Toriumon Dragon Gate theme. Um, always gets me like really pumped up. So it's one actually one of the better wrestling themes of all time. I feel bad for all of our listeners that don't have a clue what the hell's going yeah. on right now. <laughs> I know, like all, like and like all. I feel like all the all Japan themes are great for relievers too. You know the <laughs> Kawada's uh, theme and Kawada and Misawa had great like. I mean, it veers towards like the video game boss style. Mm. Um, Chono's Japanese NWO theme was excellent. Oh, that could be a good theme for David Wright. Think about it. What did David Wright do earlier in the year? He brought his friend over from another organization. Yeah. What is his friend doing right now? He's destroying this organization <laughs> from within. <laughs> um, I mean, Mike Piazza literally came out to uh, Voodoo Child for a while, which was uh, Hulk Hogan's NWO mm-hmm. theme. I think the problem you run into is there's just not many great yeah, I mean, WWE we'll... themes right now. Like, I owned multiple, like, Attitude Era CDs of themes. <laughs> like, I couldn't see myself buying a WWE, like, theme album right now. There's a couple of good ones, but on the whole, yeah. I like Dean Ambrose's. Dean Ambrose is a good one. I like Lesnar's, but that's from way back in the day, so that doesn't even really count. I like Kevin Owens's. I see, like I feel like Owens sounds too much like it. It's very generic, but it's it is. Catchy. It's like Seth, Seth Ambrose's theme slowed down, basically. It probably is. I mean, they're very <laughs> unimaginative. Um, I'm trying to think of other ones I've heard recently that I like. I know the Kingsport Mets were coming out to John Cena's theme for a while. Which yeah, always amused me. Get out of here, Kingsport. Yeah. Um, I, we haven't really answered the question. Yeah, we did a little bit. <laughs> and I've talked to Stuart about this on Twitter. So okay, fair enough. The best one that we came up with, I think, was Alex Torres's music. When he comes out of the bullpen, the right to censor alarms and warning <laughs> goes yes. off. That that would definitely work. Yes. So your emails. Once again, you can email the podcast at podcast at amazingavenueaudio.com. And we'll wrap things up this week as we do on Amazing Avenue Audio with your IF a bad week for IFK Gothenburg. I speculated last week. I couldn't remember when they were having their next uh, Europa League qualifier. It actually was like the day we recorded the podcast. But they had a 0-0 draw with the uh, Polish team Roklaslask at Roklaslask. So they have a rematch this week. Um, they win, they're through. Uh, any draw, they would lose on away goals. So they do have to win. But they are at home. But they will be without Lasavibe. He's apparently making a move to Brentford 
in the English Championship for about 1.4 million euros. Very disappointing. Uh, I'm not super surprised. I believe he's Danish. I believe the owners of Brentford are also Danish. So I'm sure there was an in there. Um, so he's not going to play in the return match with Roklas Lask. So it's it's up to our, our blonde teen Adonis, Gustav Perengel, to uh, play at the front of the formation see if they can get a win and get through. Um, as mentioned on last week's podcast, they did have their rematch with and look look so here's the thing i don't have any facility with the swedish language apparently really? it's it's nor shopping even though there's a k in there so i have k nor shopping um they're up 2-1 they actually have one nothing and 2-1 and they finished a 2-2 draw very disappointing they've had three draws coming out of the international break um, North Shoping still three points behind. Elfsburg, who I, I view right now as the biggest threat, is four points behind, but with a game in hand. They are still top of the table. They need to get some results. They have a uh, Falkensberg FF towards the bottom of the table this weekend. Hopefully we, they can uh, get three points. It's getting a little, uh, a little dicey. So it's gut check time it is in gut two check. different sports. It is gut check time in two different sports. Oof. Uh, Sheffield Wednesday added Lewis McGugan from Watford. He was on loan twice there last year. Um, they added him. Uh, transfer a full-time contract. Only £300,000, which is a very good price for a very good uh, attacking midfielder. Happy about that. Uh, I think they got their first win in their uh, in their series of friendlies. They're in Portugal right now for their preseason tour. Not a surprise. And we're only a scant 16 days away from their opener with the Bristol City. And I will be at Football Factory at 10 a.m. for that, whether it's on TV or radio. So feel free to join me. That's your requisite soccer updates for the week. I don't have much else. You'll get all of our midseason lists tomorrow on the site. We'll resume with my various minor league reports after that. I think Milton Ramos and Rafael Ramirez... I'm so far behind. But Milton Ramos <laughs> and Rafael Ramirez are up after that. Other various Kingsport guys will move on to Savannah and the two St. Lucie affiliates. I'll have some updates on the Binghamton guys I saw this week. Want more about Michael Fulmer. Talk to Chris McShane. Because I had to work today. It's not good. Gotta do what you gotta do. You gotta do what you gotta do. I did have to work. And, uh, yeah, we'll be back next week with another edition of Amazing Avenue Audio.